about? What is a Christian life about? I listen to, sometimes I'll listen to TV preachers. I'll listen to other folks on the radio, sometimes uh, internet. And I hear all kinds of uh, false teaching. It, one one uh, nice thing about knowing the Bible is, if you know the truth well enough, you can identify the faults. My wife has worked for banks for 44 years, and she can identify a, a counterfeit bill by the feel, not by the look. And uh, she goes through them, just boom, boom, boom. Oh, that one's, that one's not right. Just don't feel right. Now, sometimes they are right, but sometimes they don't feel right. She'll look at Then she'll begin to look at them. And when, you're, when, you, when you peruse through the book year after year after year after year, you just keep going through the book. That truth sinks in you, becomes part of you. And when false goes by, bing, 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 bing. I mean, you may be having a conversation with somebody and they say one sentence and it's like, oh, 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 that's not jiving. Now, you may not be able to go to verses and chapters and know why us didn't jive. Now, jive is a 60s word. I hope you remember that. It doesn't jive, man. And so it just doesn't sit right. Now, you may not be able to put your finger on it and say, well, here's a verse and chapter and why it doesn't do that. You will, however, be able to do that if you go back to your Bible. And so uh, I want to say good news is we have received uh, the money for the billboard. That's big. That's $29,000 right around that area has come in for the billboard. Thank you for giving to it, caring about it. And um, we have a very, very public presence in our area against abortion. And really, it's not, a mean, it's not mean at all. Oh, right now we got up there, what about the baby's choice? This whole pro-choice movement ought to be pro-choice. Yeah, baby choice. The baby gets a choice too. And so what we're fighting for, we're fighting for the unborn. We're fighting for the innocent of innocent of innocent. If there's any innocence, it's an unborn child. And, and, and if that child could, could accelerate whoop, to 12 years old, he'd say, fight for me, fight for me. And we are. A couple of our girls, uh, No-No and uh, Andrea, like Taylor, are going to this place called the Pregnancy Resource Center, which we're collecting change for and trying to help them. And maybe we'll put their phone number on the board. I don't know. We'll see if they'll do that. People can call them directly and be helped. And so it's a good thing. I want to talk to you about a subject that I learned by years of study of the Bible and, and living. So not only have I learned by reading the Bible, which is, is, of course, the final authority, but I've also learned what I'm going to share with you this morning by living. And I can help you. Uh, I have an alternative title to this called Exposing the Heresy of Health and Wealth Gospel. The last 25, 35, 45, probably 45 years now, we've heard the heresy of health and wealth. It's, by the way, it's alive and well today. You think that'd die out, right? Jim, Jim, uh, what was his name? Jim Baker? Jim Baker got put in jail. You thought that'd be it. Okay, it's over. He was going to build a theme park for Jesus and all that. I was took people's money. I saw him on TV one time with a MasterCard, and he says, collected money. And Jim, Jim, Jim Baker was, 
a consummate thief. And he would get up there with that master card and he'd say, now, you know why the word master is on this card, don't you? You use this card to give to the master. And what a horrible way to use Jesus to fulfill your lusts. And that whole thing, of course, went upside down. It should have. And sad day and fair. But after him came up, I could name, start naming names of just one right after the other. The one right now has dark curly hair. You may know who he is. I won't mention him. And he's from Texas. But uh, <laughs> I'm not going to mention him. Don't have to. You say, well, what's wrong with a little positive thinking, Bill? Well, that's a good question. I, am a po I have the brightest outlook of anybody you know. I am, I'm, I am looking up for my redemption draw now. But I am also a realist. My mother would always say to me, she said, she'd say, I'm a realist. <laughs> a realist just, uh, you know, accepts what's there, identifies what's there and accepts it. Doesn't dream of something not being there that is there and pretend it's not there. We're not pretenders. We're realists. I had a teacher one time, I asked the teachers to clean the kitchen up, and they do it on a rotation. And their teacher's not here and not in this room and hopefully not going to listen to this. And so uh, she, she came in, and she was disgusted. She says, I don't understand why I have to teach all day and then have to clean the kitchen up. I looked at her, and I said, welcome to the real world. And she looked at me with a hate, you know. Anyways, later on, it became a big joke among us. She, uh, she still likes me. <laughs> still. I married her to her husband, did the wedding. And she'll say, boy, that was the day when you said the real word. She said, that was one into my permanent long-term memory. I said, amen. But she said, you were right. I said, I knew I was right. It's just part of the real world. So when, when you teach a new convert, that being born again means everything's going to get brighter, better, richer, healthier, sweeter, nicer, you know. What are you doing to them? What are you doing to them? Um, when you teach a convert, a new convert, is that it's not God's will to suffer, uh, what do you think he's going or she's going to think when she begins to suffer? I said, when she begins to suffer. I had a woman come up to me. It was, a, it was a, some Pentecostal. There's lots of groups of Pentecostal. But this was a, one little group of Pentecostal that believed that it was not God's will for you to suffer ever. And she was really convinced of this. And she came up to me. And she says, I know you're a preacher. And she says, I just want to tell you the authority of the Bible. It is never God's will that we suffer. And I looked at her like she was from outer space. And I said, what Bible are you reading? Because the Bible I read talks a lot about God's purpose and use of suffering. It is one of his most effective teaching tools. Hello? It is what he uses to drive into our thick, <laughs> our thick heads, 
You know we're resistant to truth. You know that. The old man is resistant to truth. But when you tell a new convert that it's God's will, for, it's not never God's will for them to suffer, and suffering comes, what is the reaction on that new convert? God has forsaken him for some reason. And allowing him, I'm going to say him, just to keep it clear, but him or her meaning every human. And, and it's, it's God's will. It's not God's will you suffer, but I'm suffering, so it means I'm out of the will of God somehow, so that's why I'm suffering. Uh, is it because of my own sin, which is where they go most of the time? Uh, they like to go to a lack of faith. They love that. Uh, the, the, the truth, or, or getting bigger, did God lie to them? Is the Bible not true? And boy, that is real big, and I have met people that that's where they've gone. So to find the truth on this subject, I took a few, well, I took a, quite a few hours and went through the Bible looking for the words trouble, tribulation, persecution, afflictions, and the words suffer, both in plural and singular form. And what I'm going to give you in the next few minutes is my summation of my findings that I had by doing that study. What should a Christian really expect from a life given to Christ? First, one should look at the people who have gone before us. So you ask me, how is, how should, what should I expect of God and how is he going to treat me? Well, look at those. We're in, we're in 2020 here, folks. Christianity has been around a while. We've got a lot of history. Pilgrim's Progress would be a good book to start. I mean, that would be a good book. That guy spent 12 years in a rat-infested uh, hole uh, writing the book with the slime that was on the walls. I mean, you know, must I be carried to the sky on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through stormy seas? No, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. Man. So we look at, let me, let me give you a quick perusal. I have to go quickly because I got quite a bit here. Moses. Moses is the single greatest character of the Old Testament. You may argue Abraham is, but I believe Moses, because of the law, is the single greatest, most, most uh, well-known. Stood before God 40 days and 40 nights. Wow. He's one of the uh, prominent figures of the Old Testament. He went before us. Hebrews 11.25 said, Moses choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. When he decided to go... To God and say, God, I'm yours. I want to serve you. He understood that it was going to be a decision for affliction rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So it seemed like to me from that verse in Hebrews that the two choices are you're going to live into this world and get as much out of it as you're going to get, take every bit of thrill that, you, that it offers to you, and then have to face the consequences at the end. Or you're going to choose God, and you're going to make Him your Lord and Savior, and you're going to choose by that choice, you're going to include some affliction and some suffering as a life also. So you see why some people do not choose Jesus. I had a young guy, and I've told the story over and over, and I should tell it because I owe it to him. He worked with me for about three years really was close to being saved. He said, Bill, if I get saved, I can't go to the honky-tonks anymore. I've said that over and over because it always stunned me. This was this choice right here. 
he was saying, if I get saved, I know I can't go to the honky-tonks. Now, I never mentioned it, never told him that he couldn't go to the honky-tonks. The Holy Spirit told him. The Holy Spirit said, you're going to have to give up some stuff. So he was weighing, do I give up this thrill, this pleasure of sin for a season, or do I go with a Christian? Automatically, I'm talking about Holy Spirit understanding, he knew that the Christian life wasn't going to have that stuff in it. And consequently, it was going to be boring, which is a lie from hell. But nevertheless, that's what they think. They think the Christian life is boring. Man, this life has been anything but boring. I mean, I mean, you know, the, the blessings and mercies of the Lord are new every morning. I mean, I don't, I'm just, what in the world we got looking forward to us? But anyways, I looked at the Old Testament prophets, the prophets who suffered because they followed God. Well, let me give you a few. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Elijah, Elisha, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, you know, the, all the minor prophets. There's nobody that didn't suffer. So all the examples that we've been given in our Bible would tell you that the Christian life is a life of some affliction and suffering. In other words, don't be surprised at that. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 10 says, Take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Now, those two things go together. Suffering affliction is married to patience. Okay, they're married. Now, just like Nick's not no-no, no-no's not Nick, but you're one, that's suffering and patience, amen? They're two, but yet they're very closely related as one. Because when you suffer, you get patience. And I don't know why, but we need patience. That's what God says. Look, I'm the child. God tells me what I need. He said, you need patience? Give me patience. <laughs> I don't want to. Oh, you eat your peas. They're good for you. That's what God, sometimes you just open your mouth wide, God said, and let me fill it. With peas? Yes, cold canned peas. <sighs> sometimes it's manna, you know, sometimes it's manna. The disciples suffered. Peter and the other apostles in Acts 5.41, and they departed from the presence of the Lord rejoicing. They were kind of worried to suffer shame for his name. Now, the apostles were, now you got to admit, the apostles are the elite of the elite. If there is such a thing as the elite, and there is in our government for sure, but if there is such a thing as elite, uh, I would say the 12 apostles, which is, is Paul, I believe, pretty well on one of them, um, are elite. How do I know that? The 12 foundations have the names of the 12 apostles. I, I mean, I think I know you well enough to know it would be a big compliment if God took your name and put it on his city. How many here would that be a compliment to? Yeah, you know it's so. You know it's so. And so it's just big. They were counter where they, they were whipped. They just got done getting beaten. Beaten, probably broke their nose, bleeding, no antibiotics, no cleanliness, didn't understand, didn't understand bacteria. And, and they just got whipped real good, and they went out of that thing, counted, they, they were counted worthy to suffer shame. So I looked at James, the brother of John, was murdered by Herod, Acts chapter 12, right at the beginning of the church. Paul, his very life's mission was to suffer for Christ's sake. Jesus, in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, told him, <laughs> this is a beautiful, 
That's a beautiful forecast. I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name. Amen? I love in Philippians, uh, as Brother Moon said, Philippines, <laughs> chapter 3, verse 8. Yet doubtless, I count all things but loss. That's what happens when you come to Jesus. That whole life of pleasure and the world and all the glitter they offer, the glitter, you know, whoo! You got to count that, but loss, if you want this over here, you're not going to get both. But, but look what else he says in that verse. Uh, you count it loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things. How many things? And I do count them, but dung that I may win Christ. <laughs> Lord Jesus, may that be so. The churches of Galatia suffered many things. Galatians 3, 4 says, Have you suffered so many things in vain? In, Thessal in the Thessalonica or Thessalonian churches, Christians were told that suffering is part of life. 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it has come to pass, and you know, the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 29, For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but to suffer for His sake. Oh boy, I get to suffer for Jesus' sake. Romans 8, 17, If you children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that you suffer with Him, that you also may be glorified together. Romans 8, 18, For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. 2 Timothy 2.12, If you suffer, we, have, we shall also reign with him. If you deny him, he'll deny us. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 1 Peter 3.14, But if you suffer, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Verse 17, for it is better if in the will of God so be that she suffer for well-doing than for evil. 1 Peter 4, 16, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him be not ashamed. Let him glorify God on his behalf. Is that enough? It better be because I'm not going to give any more. The greatest example of all suffering is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our leader. Leaders don't drive, they lead. Jesus Christ is the leader. Uh, you read Isaiah chapter 53, written some uh, 700 years before he was born. It says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. Uh, he was despised. He was esteemed. We didn't esteem him. He was born. He was, he was, sure, let me read it here. Surely he had borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We didn't esteem him stricken, smitten, of God, and afflicted. It says here in, in verse 3, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I don't even have time to show you all the various, but you know Jesus suffered. We don't understand how deeply he suffered, however, because he was God manifest in the flesh. And God manifest in the flesh, whom in there's no evil, took upon our sin upon himself, became the sin bearer. What in the world? That's what I believe he sweat the great drops of blood over. That's what he, that's what he agonized in his soul in the garden and said, Father, Abba, Father, if it be possible that this cup pass from me. What cup? 
getting beaten and smacked and no. That he would take upon sin, your sin, my sin. It was disgusting to him. But his love for you and me pushed him through it. All the way home. Praise God for that. Amen. First Peter 2.21 says, For even here and two are you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So there it is. First Peter 2.21. So what I've done so far is very little commentary and mostly Bible, right? Right? What I've said is mostly Bible. It's available for you to see. It's available for me to see. It's been in there. It's an undisputed truth. Undisputed. But doesn't it seem to directly contradict what you hear uh, on some of these TV preachers and radio preachers, internet preachers? Doesn't it seem to contradict? In other words, are you so saturated with the truth that when they start saying what they say, it goes bing, you know, it just, eh, it just don't set right with you? I hope so. I hope so. But I'm, for here, I'm here today for those who don't, uh, don't know the Bible and what they hear, they would love it to be true. But I want to tell you and give you, give you a heads up that the life of a Christian, if it's to be a life like Jesus, is going to involve some suffering, some trouble, some affliction. Things are not always going to turn up right. And God's going to use it. So I asked the logical question after I've been through all this. Why suffering? Why? Why would God use that? Well, number one, it is his refining process for us. Hebrews 2.10, For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. It was God's, let me just say this, if, if suffering helped Jesus, it can really help me. If suffering somehow changed the Lord Jesus and made him relate to us differently and understand us more, because you know why God became flesh. Because God's a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. John four twenty four. But and and flesh and spirit are, are they can't relate. And so Christ became flesh to represent the Father to us. And you know Philip said, "Show us the Father." He said, "Why do you have, basically have you been so long with me and not seen me? Nobody would be claimed to be the Father." Now Jesus knew He wasn't. Let me try to get this. Is, when you look to Jesus, everything the Father is was Jesus. Have you been so long with me and not known me? It says in Hebrews 1.3, He's the express image of the, of the Father. He is a stamp, a mold. You take the mold out and the mold, they're exactly the same. Of the Father. Show us the Father. Here I am. But if suffering according to, according to this will help Jesus to be per, to be perfect means to be completed or to, something added to him. 
How much more do I need to suffer to understand who he is and to learn what I need to learn? Hebrews 5.8, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. It's talking about Jesus there in Hebrews 5. He learned obedience. So what do we learn? Number one, we learn patience. Romans 12, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Verse Romans 5, 3 says, and not only so, but, you, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now read those two verses to kind of bounce them off each other. Tribulation worketh patience. The first time I read that verse, it shocked me and kind of a little bit depressed me. Is it a little warm in here? It's always warm for you. Uh, I cannot ever ask you that. Tribulation works patience. And God wants me to have patience. So he's going to give me tribulation. Our own deficiencies. What, what is patience? What do what tri tribulations and sufferings do? They show us our deficiencies and God's efficiency. Where does, where does trouble drive you? As a born-again Christian, where does it drive you? Where does prosperity drive you? Where does, where does trouble drive you? Where does prosperity drive you? Prosperity makes you independent of God. If you're not very, very careful. Let me tell you, very few rich men will enter into the kingdom of heaven because prosperity is so deceptive. So deceptive. There's a false sense of security it brings and can bring into people's lives. But brother, I believe in the temptation where Jesus gave an answer to the devil. He says, "It is every, every word, man lives on every word of God. I'm glad my life is in the hand of God this morning. I'm glad it's not in the stock market. You with me on that? I've been through about two or three Black Tuesdays. Amen? It's no fun, is it, Black Tuesday? You know what I mean by Black Tuesday? Don't, how many know Black Tuesday? Yeah, that was when you lost half of what you had. But did you really ever have it if you lost it? No, you never had it. It never was yours. I like people sometimes that come and tell me, well, man, man, our stock went up, I'm... I'm a I'm hundred grand and a plus. I said, pull it. <laughs> pull it. Hold it in your hand and look at it. Buy a Harley. Buy four of them. Because when you get Black Tuesday, that'll go. Whoop. You know, it comes like, it gets like wings and flies away. Boy, it's amazing. But we need patience. So prosperity and good times breed pride in us. We know that. We know that. Parable of the rich young ruler. We know his trouble was, uh, you know, Jesus, why did Jesus tell that young man, everything you have, go sell and give it to the poor? Because he knew that was the one thing holding him back from salvation. Think about that rich young ruler. I don't know if he ever got saved or not. Somehow I doubt it. I think that being with Jesus and, and that was probably his moment and opportunity. Think of what he chose that day. He chose this world over 
that world, the eternal world. He chose the temporal world over the eternal world. He's not the rich young ruler anymore. But the old beggar who chose Jesus is rich. And he can keep it. No Black Tuesday in heaven. No Black Tuesday in heaven. Amen, amen, amen. I think of Psalm 30, verse 6, says, In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Whew. Also, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. So, we're to have patience, and God wants to work patience, and he works it through suffering. It's a long process. It's not a short process. I think, I think Joseph was in prison unjustly for 13 years. That's a long process. You can go through the various people that suffered. Sometimes they're long. Like, I think, uh, was it John Bunyan that wrote Pilgrim's Progress? He was 12 years in the Bedford prison. That's just a long process. I want to like look at God and say, I, I think I can get this within a week. <laughs> I started having migraines at 42 years old and then for 25 long years. I'm a slow learner. And right simultaneously with that, I got the gout. I don't know if you know anything about gout. How many here know something about gout? God bless your soul. I had gout so bad I wanted to literally die to get better. And I got the gout and I got migraines. And I would go to God and I'd say, and that's what bursts these sermons, by the way. I'd say, please take it away. Please take it away. Many, many prayers that way. Fasted, water only, seven-day fast. I said, please, Jesus. You know what his answer was? No. Not yet. Not yet. But you know what? I just kept praying. Finally, I said, okay, I'm going to quit asking you to take it away. I'm going to start thanking you for it. And that took about 25 years to come to that. I told you I was hard-headed. 25 years, the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear one day, why don't you start thanking him for it? And I go, thanking him for it? I'm talking about, theoretically, we can sit up here and talk about it, but I'm talking about when you got one of them busting migraines where you just get in a fetal position and you just want to, that's when you thank him. You don't thank him when you're standing up here feeling good. You thank him when you're in the middle of it. And I remember one time I did that and I said, oh, God, if this is what it takes to be a good Christian, I thank you for it. All those words were hard to come. And I wonder why. Why would they be hard to come? But I learned something. that it was God's hand. And he took it away. Pretty much took it away. Took the gout away, took the head at migraines, pretty much all gone. Probably get one today, but hey, that's some tune-up. Sometimes you need tune-up. 
I know where you're going. I know where you're going. And so, are you okay? Okay? All right. I, I, I can do Heimlich, but I'm not good at it. You know, I go like this. One, two, one, two. I figure. The first thing I do, I say, is he saved? Yeah, don't give it to him. Uh, he'll be mad at me forever if I pull him away from heaven. He'll chew me out. He'll say, preacher, what in the world did you bring me back to this mess for? I'll say, yeah, well, they forced me. People ask me, do you have a set of paddles, you know, electrical paddles here at church? No, we do not. Because we want you to go to heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to go boom on you and wake up with them two burn spots and say, you'll get a gun, come after me. We need to be encouraged. I think we can be encouraged in this teaching, in the Bible teaching here. This is not me teaching. This is not Baptist teaching. This is Bible teaching. Go anywhere in the world, any language in the world. And this is what it t says. 1 Peter 5.10, but, but, but the God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. There it is. Uh, oh, by the way, after you've suffered a while. God will manifest himself. Not only will you learn patience, not only will you learn something about trusting God, not only will you learn to go to God, but God will manifest himself to you like never before. How do I know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you need to make yourself familiar with it. It says this, Blessed be God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of... All comfort. Who comforted us in all our tribulations, verse 4. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherein we ourselves are comforted of God. So the process is, God allows you to suffer so that you'll trust Him and not the world. And so, as you trust Him and you see Him deliver you, and He does deliver you, now you're able to comfort others who are going through the same thing. I got cancer at 28 years old. I'm able to comfort people in some degree that have had cancer. I had radiation. I had my lifetime dose of radiation at 28 years old. Lifetime. Can't have any more radiation. Uh, I can tell you that I can comfort people. I can look them in the eye. And we, we, we touch. You girls that have had babies. You go to a girl who hadn't had a baby, and it's just like. But you go to a woman who's had some babies, and you touch. You know exactly. I mean, maybe exactly, and that means too much, you know, because people have babies differently, right? But pretty much the same process. I remember Heather 
and Chris. Is Heather here? Good. <laughs> I remember Heather and Chris, you know, two in love couples. And, you know, I just like to be around people like that. And hopefully I get some of it, you know. It's like heat emanates off of them. And she wants, oh, they're going to be married. And, oh, I want to have Chris's babies. Oh, I want to wash his clothes. Oh, I want to do his dishes. You girls say stupid stuff like that. <laughs> You're the first ones to tell me, boy, that was stupid. <laughs> and Aaron, love, I want to have his babies. So she gets pregnant. You know, gets married first, okay? Gets married, gets married, gets pregnant, and, and they have their first kid, right? Have you ever seen a woman the day after the birth? It beats them up, man. It beats them up. And, you know, they, they were flat stomach. Boy, they had a flat stomach. Ooh, now they... Well, I mean, it's like this even after you have your kid, right? Looks like some of you men. And, uh, and so you, you got this stomach, and she looks down at herself in the mirror and goes, is that going to go away? <laughs> oh, it goes away for the first one, but the trouble is they don't stop there. They have the second one. And uh, the second one is three times more work than the first one. And I just, I'm just repeating what I've been told. And, uh, and so they, 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 they're not the enamoring of it all is over. It's over. And you can take a woman like that to a girl that's getting ready to get married and they're not even in the same world. Amen. The suffering changed her for the better. It made her more realistic. It made her more practical. It made her more, hey, this is work. I asked her the other day, how I was being married with two children. Work. A lot more work than I ever, ever imagined. I said, didn't anybody talk to you about that? Yeah, but you don't believe them. <laughs> your trouble, your, your tribulation, your sorrow, your suffering, your pain is working in you to mature you. Something that cannot be learned any other way. It'll give you depth. It'll give you mellowness. It'll give you compassion. It'll give you empathy. It'll give you humility that you cannot get out of reading. You get it out of living. Cheer up, you saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. Nothing to make you feel afraid. Nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails. So, why don't you trust Him and shout? You want me to finish it? <laughs> You'll be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. Father, help us in the name of Jesus come. Uh, I'm unfit to do this. <sighs> May you work. Hear us when we cry. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.